It's time for JT the Brick. JT. Woo! Hey, girls. How are you? Wow, I can go in 10 different directions today. Carr looking downfield. Devontae's wide open at the two. Grabs it. Touchdown, Raiders. The defender had fallen down, and Devontae Adams has his second touchdown grab of the half. JT the Brick. I think it's so important, especially for this new generation of Raider fans. Now we got something. Now we got some guys out of the tub, out of the training room, doing what they needed to do. Delayed hand up to Jacobs. Huge hole up the middle, 10. Cuts right side, 5. Touchdown, Jacobs! The hat trick in the end zone. His third rushing touchdown of the day. This is, this is what the Raiders are all about. And now, here's JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of the show brought to you by Modelo, the fighting spirit. Today I got a chance to see the new commemorative glasses. They have a Jim Plunkett glass, a Raider Nation glass, Modelo, with the fighting spirit, a proud partner of our show. They were so good to help uh, promote and sponsor our event at Resorts World. We poured a lot of Modellos that day. Thanks to Modelo. Happy holidays to everyone at Modelo for being our proud partner on Raider Nation Radio. Patrick Graham coming up in a minute. A little bit of his press conference. Levi Edwards from over at the Raider facility. Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5 as he's traveling out early to go to Pittsburgh. I want to hear about that. And what chances do the Raiders have to beat the Steelers on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception? Tonight at 7 p.m. Pacific time, the Raiders will host on YouTube. They have their own YouTube channel, The Immaculate Reception 50 Years Later. It's a really good documentary. I previewed it today and did an exclusive podcast with George Atkinson. Did a 20-minute with George Atkinson interview when he was there on the field when it happened. He gave us a lot of look back on his mentality, what was going on in that game. A little preview, George told me it was the toughest football game he ever played in his life, in his entire life playing football. That was the most physical, the toughest one he ever played in. And the Raiders lost that one. It was one of their many famous game losses, even though they won a lot of big games. The Holy Roller, the Sea of Hands. They lost the Immaculate Reception. They lost the Duck Rule. A lot of history with the Raiders. A tremendous amount of history. But in that game on the 50th anniversary between those two teams, 20 future Hall of Famers or team staff Hall of Famers were involved in that game. For the Raiders, Ron Wolf, Gene Upshaw, Ken Stabler, Art Shell, John Madden, Jim Otto, George Blanda, Willie Brown, Fred Bolitnikoff, Bob Brown, and Al Davis. As we look at those uh, players who were in there for the Steelers, Mel Blunt, Terry Bradshaw, Joe Green, Jack Ham, Franco Harris, Chuck Knoll, Bill Nunn, Art Rooney, and Dan Rooney. Those are a lot of players. The Steelers won the matchup but went on to lose to the eventual 72 undefeated Dolphins the following week. Following the 1972 season, the Raiders and the Steelers would go on to win six of the next eight Super Bowls. The Steelers four and the Raiders two. The Dolphins won, the Cowboys won, led by Roger Staubach. So I believe that the 70s was the greatest decade in the history of the NFL. Clearly with the Steelers, Raiders, Dolphins, and Cowboys all at their peak and some other really good teams. The Raiders are 17-13, 17-13, including the playoffs against the Steelers. John Madden was 6-5 all-time versus the Steelers, 2-3 in the postseason. And John Madden had a hell of a record, the youngest coach, first coach to ever get to 100 wins. So with John Madden, when you look at what he was able to do 
and Madden to have those 100 wins and all those big games, but to lose a few to the Steelers that were legendary. His son, Mike Madden, is a big part of this documentary coming up tonight. Before we have Levi Edwards on, Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, just met with the media in Henderson a few hours ago. Huh? <laughs> I didn't mean to, but they have time. <laughs> we haven't talked to you, so I want to go back to the Rams game for yep. a minute. Earlier in the year, you had success calling that same defense in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. I think it was Seattle, but if I'm wrong, I'm not lying. Okay. And I'm just curious because that's that calling that defense in that situation goes against conventional wisdom. I'm curious, what is it about it with your team and your roster? that you like about using that in that situation? Um, you know, it's a long time ago, but I'm going to try to remember. Uh, just, you know, like, it's what I thought was best at the time, and, you know, obviously it didn't work out. But, you know, again, got to, I got to coach that situation better. You know, again, you can look back, you know, had several situations like that in my career and just, you know, just in terms of what's been successful, what has been. And I thought that was what was best at that time. And I think probably could do a better job coaching that and, you know, learn from that experience and move on. And, you know, thankfully last week against the Patriots, we had some successful, some success in two minute. And, you know, the Pittsburgh's going to definitely challenge us with that, you know, with all the skill they have out there and the quarterback and all the plays. But, you know, again, just, you know, usually goes into like what I thought was going to be good at the time and didn't work out. There's some uncertainty in terms of Pittsburgh's quarterback. It looks like they kind of just mm-hmm. announced that it would be Kenny Pickett coming back. But uh, how much does that complicate preparations, kind of have a different style of quarterback? You know, I've told you before, you know, we got each week, you know, again, I always talk about, you know, how many opponents we have in a season. We're always prepared for whoever they have on their roster. You got to be prepared for that. And then some, uh, sometimes you got to be prepared for guys who are on the practice squad based on the health situation of the quarterback. So, again, that's the challenge for us every week. That's a, most coaches are dealing with that in the league. So, again, they, I mean, again, similar skill sets. I mean, Rudolph's a little bit different than those guys, but um, similar skill sets in terms of being able to make plays, you know, with their feet, you know, on the move. Um, so, and, you know, they got a whole bunch of other guys to worry about as well, you know, from the running back to the O-line who's playing really well together, the receivers, tight end is a good player, you know, the back, <laughs> I mean, he's one of the best in the league. So, but, you know, we just, we always take that, and take that into consideration each week. Coach, you guys are going against George Pickens, a guy who has good height, weight, speed. What do you see from his game that will, um, that all of that may present a challenge for you on the back end there? Well, most positions, if you have height, weight, and speed, <laughs> it's good. I mean, it's a big man league. You know, that's what you know. That's what this game's about. You know, a lot of big people playing uh, and running fast. And I mean, he's one of those guys. Uh, you know, he does a good job down the field catching the ball. Um, he challenges you in the run game. I mean, that's why. That's why I'm always impressed with the receivers that block in the run game, that get in there, you know, he's in the C-gap area blocking. He'll come down there and crack you. You know, I'm, I'm really impressed with how they teach that. You know, Mike does a good job of, you know, instilling toughness in those guys, and you can see it on the tape. Just you look at the last game against Carolina, just in terms of how many times they ran the ball, you know, Mike's not one to, you know, say something and not mean it. So he said they're going to establish a line of scrimmage, the toughness he wanted that to show. And they took it down there. It was on the road, correct? I believe, yeah, on the road. And they did that. So, you know, we got to get ready for that, especially a Saturday night game, Christmas Eve. You know, it's going to be pretty cool. I forget the new name of the stadium. I, I don't want to misspeak, but <laughs> but it's going to be it's going to be cool. Patrick, a couple of young players, uh, Luke Masterson and Tyler Hall, that uh, you know both seem to their needle seems to be pointed up mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. What um, what's gone into 
both of their development to I think it starts first with the position coaches, you know, so, you know, Tyler with uh, Coach Simmons, uh, Luke with uh, Coach Pierce, and then on top of that is the quality control coaches. You know, I think Josh established that early on in the spring, told those guys that's part of what they're going to be evaluating on, getting the young players ready, and, you know, they've done a good job with that. You know, both the coaches and the quality control coaches, but definitely, you know, I think it's a big part of your program when you have good quality, I mean, pun or whatever, I'm bad with, whatever, saying good quality, quality control coaches, I mean, that's 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 important to have because they got to get those guys ready in this league where, you know, you're going to lose guys throughout the season. So, I mean, kudos to, you know, Matt and Matt, those guys, they're both named Matt, sorry, <laughs> but they do a good job there. Um, Amika Robertson, it looked to me like he started the game on, on the sideline. He wasn't mm -hmm. in there the first couple of series. But then you turned to him, and he might have delivered his best game mm -hmm. uh, of the season. A, if you could talk about just his response to him not getting some early playing time, but being ready when his number was called. And also, what, does he bring, what has he been bringing to the game? The thing, the thing about Amik and all our guys, you know, they, they, they know it's next man up and being ready to go. Um, whether it's because of injuries in the past or what have you, or just like, okay, the rotation of the game. And I think Amik's, they all prepare. You know, all the guys in the defensive backfield, they all prepare, and they know that their number can be called at any point. Um, so just him being ready, you know, him being ready, and that was a good thing. Um, and I think all the guys were ready. You know, we had some we had some good plays. I mean, it was our best in terms of production, in terms of the past game, it was our best game. Um, in terms of what does Amik bring to the table, I mean, just going back to his college days, he's a ball hawk. You know, he has a, I think he has one interception. He has a touchdown on a fumble recovery. That's one thing about him. I mean, you know, you look for ball hawks when you're doing the evaluation process, and that's important to have. And he's one of those guys that looks for the ball. You know, he had the pass breakup, or he had a couple pass breakups right there. I mean, you want guys like that on defense. All right, so that's it. He started off that interview. was asked about the Rams game. I didn't think the answer was great on what happened on the breakdown against Baker Mayfield, but they move on from that. The defense did play a little bit better in this last game, which they had to win against New England. What will the defense look like in Pittsburgh? That interview in full is up at Raiders.com, and you can find that on the Raiders' Twitter page. Levi Edwards, is, all, is that all those press conferences? And Levi, let's begin with you and coming off the win. You broke it down by the numbers today. Really good content that you put out the other day after Chandler Jones closed out that game. What were some of the big takeaways from you inside the building when you looked at the tape and how the Raiders closed out that game at the end? Uh, really just uh, great heads up play. Um, really just a lot of, you know, a lot of situational awareness from the team. Um, obviously you're kind of preparing for one thing you're preparing for overtime and to kind of just go down and you know see what you can do with the another 10 15 minutes of football and then that happens and so Chandler Jones just happened to be at the right place at the right time made the right play and uh, I commend him for uh, something that he said is that he tried to stiff arm the quarterback he didn't want to run by the quarterback he wanted to run through him because he didn't want to try to, you know, make a juke move, you know, out of his character and then, you know, kind of get tangled up, you know, and, and not make a tackle. So he was just like, you know what, I'm just going to run through him straight to the end zone. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So, uh, you know, kudos to, to Chandler for making that play and, and putting Mac Jones on the poster. And uh, it, will, it definitely was something that I've never seen uh, in my lifetime, let alone watching the game live in person. Uh, it mm -hmm. was insane. Uh, just great situational football from the defense on that. 
uh, just trying to make whatever they could out of what was given to them. Yeah, Levi, I think it's incredible. We've never seen anything like that because nothing ever has happened like that. So everybody was in shock after the game when I was starting the post-game show. The look on Raider fans' faces was euphoria, but still shock. And then the Patriot fans, I didn't even notice disgust. That wouldn't even be a word I used. They were still in shock, but they couldn't. They just couldn't comprehend it because they're not used to the Patriots making mistakes like that. So when you saw the running play, on those last couple of plays, they, not, they weren't looking for a Hail Mary. They were looking to run the ball. That meant to me that they were going to take a knee because they couldn't run it in the end zone. Mac Hollins was back at the goal line, and there was no time to get the field goal kicker on there. So when you saw them hand it off, what did you think initially? Um, well, initially, um, there was still a good bit of, not a good bit of time left, but there was enough time to where, uh, you know, Something could have could have happened. I know they were out of timeouts, or I believe they were down to one timeout or no timeouts. Uh, from what from my vantage point of what it looked like, um, obviously they did the run play because they were all in deep coverage. You know, all the safeties in the corners they were you know backing off because they were trying to prevent a hail mary. So obviously, you know, there's really no one in the box. So the running back, uh, you know, Stevenson, it looked like he was just trying to make a run to gain a couple more yards and. It looked as if he was trying to go out of bounds to stop the clock to maybe bring out the field goal unit. However, the run took a little longer than he probably expected to once he got the yardage that he needed, and then the clock was already at zero seconds. So once he realized he was at zero seconds and he couldn't get out of bounds and you know the team had no timeouts, there's nothing that you know could be done to get more points. It looked like he just started to, to try to lateral the ball he knew he was about to get tackled, and then, you know, Jacoby, he got the ball uh, after the game. He said he was just trying to do too much. He was just trying to be the hero, and, you know, we've seen, you know, crazier things happen, so he probably was just like, you know, let me just try to continue to keep the ball in motion. You know, if we can end this game now, we don't have to go to overtime against a team that's historically good in overtime the past two seasons. Let's not do that. So uh, it's just a, a very interesting situation uh very you know small mental mistake that like you said you usually don't see the Patriots make and it resulted in Chandler Jones you know being at the very right place at the very right time uh you know put Mac Jones in the dirt ran 48 yards and and that was game Levi Edwards is our guest let's move on to Pittsburgh you saw Patrick Graham and Mick Lombardi speak you know I'd put a lot of heat or pressure from a radio perspective on opening up this offense because it seems to work when they throw it deep, when they throw it over the top, when they throw the ball in the end zone. But I know they're going to run it. How do you not run it in these conditions with Josh Jacobs? So do the Raiders have another game that Josh Jacobs could put the team on his back, go for not 90, 98, but go for a 130, 150, eat up the clock, and keep Kenny Pickett and the Steelers on the sideline? What do you expect the game plan to be with Josh Jacobs in this critical last game on the road, do or die? That really uh, all comes down to how the offensive line plays. Mm-hmm. And and obviously it's going to be a cold game. You know, there might potentially be some snow. It will be, you know, for the holidays, it's going to be a very hard-fought game. And, of course, when it comes to the weather and the conditions and all of that, obviously the Steelers have home field advantage. However, the, the Raiders do have Josh Jacobs, and he's been on a tear this year. He's been, you know, the best running back uh, statistically in the NFL this season. So uh, definitely giving him the ball will be key. And Josh Jacobs throughout his career has played very well in cold weather games. Uh, 
even back, uh, you know, the, the 2020 season in Cleveland, um, just he's from Oklahoma. He, mm-hmm. he can deal with weather, weather like that. So he can, he's historically been a, a guy where it's like the colder it gets, he's going to, he's going to play Seattle, very cold in Seattle this year mm-hmm. and in Denver balled out. So uh, it's really going to come down to the offensive line. And I know they're really banged up right now. Uh, we don't know the stats of Alex Bars. We don't know the stats of Dylan Parham right now. Um, two guys have been playing well. And, of course, you, you're still moving pieces around with your tackles, you know, with Munford getting snaps, Illuminor. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the offensive line will be prepared to combat against uh, a really tough uh, Steelers defensive front. So, really, the success of Josh Jacobs uh, will be very dependent upon that offensive line and how they can get going against Levi Edwards as we wrap it up Malcolm Kuntz with a big play off the edge you knew this but you cover the team at a high level Josh McDaniels was really concerned about the Patriots special teams if that game came down to a special teams play honestly I thought it would be the Patriots not the Raiders but the Raiders have AJ Cole and Carlson and they're elite players I just thought the return team was elite and much better from the Patriots side but when the play had to be made Kuntz made it and it changed the game. And I don't think the Raiders win that game without that block and a score right behind it. How'd you say it? I, I 100% agree. Uh, I, of course, we're all going to talk about the Chandler Jones, uh, the Chandler Jones, you know, scoop and score. That was definitely, you know, the most memorable play of the game. But when you look at two plays that really dictated the outcome of the game, um, the two plays I think about is the Keelan Cole touchdown mm-hmm. to tie the game. It was a great throw. And also that, that block from Malcolm, because one, it was a great heads-up play. He was in the right place at the right time uh, to, to make that block. And it looked like the Patriots were kind of a little thrown off, and they didn't know if the ball was going to be snapped in enough time, and he did not care. He just went and got the block. And then not only did he get the block, he set the team up for seven points because mm-hmm. the Steelers get the ball back, and then that sets up the seven points for Matt Collins you know, before the end of the half to go up by 14. So not only do you make a big play, but you get the ball back to your offense to get more points, points that were needed in the overall grand scheme of the game of the way that it ended. And Malcolm Kuntz is a guy that I've seen since he got drafted last year out of Buffalo, and he's really good. I really think Malcolm Kuntz is is a really good player, uh, very bendy, very flexible, uh, has pretty good speed, plays really hard. And, of course, he's delegated a lot more to special teams because of that. And even McDaniel said it in his press conference after the game Monday where, you know, obviously Malcolm doesn't get a lot of snaps on defense because you have two all-pro you have two all pro edge rushers and you have Cleveland who's playing pretty good this season. So it's kind of hard to, to get your reps in as an edge rusher on this defense. But he, he makes the most out of whatever opportunities he, he gets. And I believe that he's been like that since he's got to the Raiders. And, mm-hmm. of course, he played in two games last season, got two sacks. So, Malcolm Kuntz is, is a pretty good player, and, and I hope that he continues to, to practice hard and work hard and get more opportunities to make plays like that. All right, my friend, I'm watching some video of you looking all dapper on the sideline with a Raider chain, a sports coat. Was that a turtleneck you had down there on the sideline? Did I see a, did I see a white turtleneck to go with that sports coat? It was it was a white turtleneck. Uh, nice. you know, it, it's getting they didn't they didn't tell me it was gonna get this cold when I moved out here today. <laughs> I knew it was gonna be I knew it was gonna be hot as hell. I knew that. I did think you would you would get this cold and so you know, I I had to pull out the turtleneck. Uh it kept me warm, you know, it kept me drippy as the kids say. 
So uh, you very know, drippy. I'm I'm just trying to be uh, the best Raiders reporter uh, that the team can have from a, from a writing perspective and from a fashion perspective. I agree with you. Always that, but... always dress for success if you can on the sideline because cameras are everywhere. The boss is down there. The owner. Very sharp on your end. Hey, have a great holiday. If I don't see you before, I'll probably see you Thursday when I interview the coach. And thanks for everything you did as a new insider for us this year as we wrap up the year. I appreciate your efforts. Thank you so much. Most definitely. Thank you so much, JT. You got it. Levi Edwards, digital team. He does a great job. Appreciate him coming on there. And he's always at the press conferences. I can't be. I'm on the air. I'm on the air noon to 2. Well, we're doing the podcast at 9.30 in the morning, the coach interview at 11, and we want to have people, and Q has that on his show, want to have people that are in the building and talking to the coaches, and he's one of them. We appreciate that. Kevin Bollinger will join us coming up from Fox 5. He's the sports director. He's going to Pittsburgh. I think he's going early because of the weather. I'll ask him about that. It could be a chaotic game. The whole season's been chaotic for all these other teams as we'll go around the league and find out what's going to happen. The marquee game is Saturday at 4 Eastern, 1 o'clock our time. Eagles at the Cowboys. Jalen Hurts going to play or not? I would not play him. I would shut him down. I think he's got a shoulder issue. He's not 100%. Shut him down, and then he'll come back and play. They don't need him in this game. If the Cowboys get to him and throw him to the ground and he's done, they won't win the Super Bowl. And Kansas City won't win the Super Bowl without the great Patrick Mahomes. I don't think San Francisco can win the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy. There's some guys out there. I think they can win with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, but they're going to need a couple of breaks or two. You want to have two home games. If you're not the one seed, the two seed's really important because you can get two home playoff games. That's what the Niners want. That's clearly what Cincinnati wants if they can jump over Kansas City. How about the Rams being eliminated? They are humbled and eliminated from the playoffs. So always remember that. The Super Bowl hangover, it was real with the Rams. They went all in with a bunch of free agents and some high-priced players, and it didn't work year two. But they would never trade that Super Bowl away. They're building a brand in L.A. in a brand-new stadium. The first year of the stadium, they get a Super Bowl. That's what he was paid to do, and Sean McVay did it. When we come back, Kevin Bollinger of Fox 5, we appreciate him coming on. One of our proud partners here on the radio. One of my other partners I'm thanking over the holidays, as always, is Grimaldi's. Best pizza I ever had. People stop me. JT, really? What about this pizza place? No, no, no. Grimaldi's is always the best. Comes from under the Brooklyn Bridge in New York. And they got great locations here. The water is the difference. The service. The Brooklyn Bridge is what I order. And the Caesar. Head on out to Grimaldi's and get the $50 gift card. Derek is a uh, is a lifelong Raiders fan growing up. Even the games before you were born, back in the seventies, where they just had these Raiders Steelers rivalry games yeah. and so forth, and the immaculate reception, all that stuff. What are some of your early early yeah, memories of the ground. Steelers? And, <laughs> and just some of the thoughts that you had of the Steelers and players that you know, as a as a Raider growing up, yeah, a little kid. What were, what were your thoughts of the Steelers? Yeah, well, you know, you got to respect them, obviously. Yeah, it's like I said, that ball touched the ground, but. Uh, uh, you know, we've had our fair share of battles in my career, too, which is fun for me to have a little bit of part of the history, you know, uh, of that rivalry. That's a big deal. It is a rivalry between the Raiders and the Steelers, and it was a long rivalry. It still is. They're both in the same conference in the AFC, and this is an elimination game for both the teams as a reporting, and ESPN reported first, and it's out there. Kenny Pickett is expected to start 
against the Raiders, and he's a rookie, and he's never played in a game of this magnitude. It's an elimination game. If the Steelers lose, they're eliminated. So that's pressure on him, and he's never played in a spot like this. So you gotta, Tomlin will have him ready to go because Tomlin's never had a season below 500, and he'd like to get to the same record as the Raiders, 9-8. and eight. You're going to get the A game out of them. The A game out of them. And we'll see. He'll return in time for a frigid game, the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, Saturday night when temperatures are expected to be around 8 degrees at kickoff and a wind chill estimated to be minus 4. Pickett's five games of college experience at Pitt, though, will help prepare him for the weather on Saturday night. Kevin Bollinger will be there, our insider from Fox 5, and I think you told me you were going to try to get out a little bit early because of the weather concerns. What updates do you have for us now, Kevin? Yeah, that's right. From where we're hearing, JT, is uh, some snows coming in on Friday into the Pittsburgh area, and uh, that's the whole northern half of the country. So we're getting out on Thursday to try and get into town, and uh, as we all know, commercial travel can be a little difficult these days. So we're going to try to beat everything and make our life hopefully as simple as possible by getting there. Hey, Kevin, the whole key is if it was played in the day and the sun was out, it would feel completely okay. different than a night game on Christmas Eve where a lot of fans have their heads wrapped around Christmas. It takes a lot to go to a football game with those conditions on Christmas Eve when people are bundled up at home with presents and celebrating and wanting to have a quiet night at home watching football. I love when fans are put in a situation like this, and those Steeler fans are dedicated. They show up for games like this. No question. I mean, I expect it to be a really cool, festive atmosphere. Uh, you know, both teams are barely clinging on the playoff hopes, but uh, it is going to be cold, especially right there on the river. It's going to make it a little bit colder as well, but uh, I expect to see lots of uh, Santa hats and, and uh, probably a, a pretty good rowdy atmosphere. We know Raider Nation's going to show up. They always do on the road, uh, so they'll have their presence heard as well. And uh, You know, it's going to be one of those things where, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's just going to be just a cool vibe inside the stadium for a, a regular season game. Kevin Bollinger from Fox 5. So I was in the building today hosting Roundtable and talking to George Atkinson about the history of the Immaculate Reception. You're going to be there for that. And I know on Friday they're doing something in the parking lot. From what Phil Villapiano told me, they have a mark in the parking lot where the Franco Harris moment was exactly to the spot. Franco's Italian Army, they're going to be inducting Mike Ciani, the former Raider wide receiver in it. Phil Villapiano is going to be there for the weekend. It's a big deal. They're playing this up huge in Pittsburgh because it's the greatest play, single play in franchise history for Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, the Steelers fans love it. Uh, I don't know how much Raider Nation loves uh, the celebration of the Immaculate Reception, but, uh, you know, it, it is kind of cool. It's as Friday as the actual 50th anniversary uh, to do the recreation will be uh, will be kind of a cool atmosphere and kind of similar to weather what to what they had at Three River Stadium that day. Uh, you know, it, it is it is part of, of history, and even if you're on the wrong end of history, uh, to be a, a part of uh, of a play like that that is still talked about a half a century later, uh, and we're we're you know kind of uh, letting the younger people know exactly what that play was all about uh, is still something that's kind of important. Kevin Bollinger, sports director, Fox 5. So, Kevin, I'm sure you've seen this. If we look at what the Raiders need, what must happen for the Raiders to make the playoff? For conversation purposes, they got to win all three. So let's say they do that like last year. They won four in a row. They do it again. They need the Jaguars to lose just one of the final three. That's a lock. They need the Jets to lose one of the final three. 
that's a lock. They need the Patriots to lose one of the final three. That's a lock. But here's the problem. They need one or both of the Chargers and the Dolphins to lose two out of their last three games. So with that one, I don't think the Chargers are going to lose two out of their final three. I think they're in, but I think the Dolphins could. So it's not that crazy. It's not like you need the Jets or the Jags or the Patriots to lose two out of three. They just got to lose one, but the Raiders have to be perfect. Yeah, man, you know, that that was why, you know, scoreboard watching, uh, that Chargers game against the, the Titans uh, was so important. Chargers kind of uh, got a couple of wins here. Uh, in the last couple of weeks that, that have hurt the Raiders' playoff chances. But Miami's uh, doing a little bit of struggle right now. Uh, when they do have to go on the road, Miami's never traditionally been a cold-weather team as well. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, that it's plausible. Uh, the bottom line is the Raiders do have to take care of business, and, and they don't have the, the easiest route to win all three with San Francisco and Kansas City coming to Allegiant the final two weeks. Um, but it, when this team is playing good football, I honestly think that they can beat anybody in the league. Yes, I do, too. I agree with you. Hey, Kevin, you cover a lot of stories here. You're the sports director for our proud partner in a big station here in town. Where, where do you rank that play? I, I think i got to put it at number one. We always have UNLV in their championship in town. Obviously, the hockey team making it to the Stanley Cup final, so winning the West that year. But there'll never be a play like that again. And the Raiders have a proud history, and it's never happened to the Raiders. So in the iconic moments in Vegas sports history, it's got to be on the short list. One, two, two A. How do you see it going forward? Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at, uh, I would say, the three most iconic moments uh, now uh, in Las Vegas, and I'm sure that people are going to argue with me on this, but obviously the running Rebels championship, because that was such a huge deal and, and continues to be. Um, then you have the opening night, I think, of the Golden Knights because of the 1 October mm-hmm. situation and just everything that went into that particular night that kind of brought the whole community together and really sucked in non-sports fans into sports as to why sports is so important because it's part of community. It's not just sports. Uh, and then that Raiders moment there at the end of the Patriots games right there, too. So uh, th- those three moments uh, are certainly at the top of the list. And, uh, I, you know, like everybody else, when, when that happened, A, it felt like it was going in slow motion on Sunday. Uh, but, but I took the time to kind of just not only scan the crowd, but scan the press box to see everybody's mm. uh, reaction while the crowd was going crazy. You know, people got out of their seat in the press box. And as you know, Sometimes they don't get out of their seats for anything except for free food, and uh, but their, their mouths were wide open. So you, you could tell that it was a, a, a pivotal moment in NFL history. Yeah, it was. It was one of the great moments. Great coverage by you and the entire team there. We'll be looking forward to your coverage. So with the schedule, just give us an update on what you'll be trying to accomplish in that weather on Fox 5 from the time you land in Pittsburgh. Well, we're hoping to kind of uh, set the scene on Thursday night, uh, you know, and get there in time to, to do that for uh, Fox 5 News at 10. Uh, to, to get the scene set from Pittsburgh, uh, give people an idea of what's going to happen over the next couple of days right up to game time. And then Friday we'll go a little bit more into the Immaculate Reception anniversary. Um, and, uh, and then Saturday, of course, uh, with a 5.15 Las Vegas time kick, uh, we'll be all over that. Um, you know, uh, I, I, everybody goes, oh, my gosh, you're going to be so cold. Don't feel bad for me. I'm going to be in the warm press box. My photographer, <laughs> Robbie Hunt, uh, who's going to be on the sideline. He's the one uh, that's going to have to suffer through all these temperatures and, and does such a great job 
to, to get everything that we can show back to everybody in Las Vegas. And then after the game that night, uh, we'll have a one-on-one interview with one of the Raiders, as we always do, and then complete highlights and post-game reaction uh, all on Fox 5 News at 10 Saturday night. So yeah, give, uh, give, looking forward to it. Yeah, give my best to Robbie. I know he does a great job. He'll be, he'll be prepared to be down on that sideline. Kevin, I'll talk to you when you get back. Thanks for everything you've done for us this year as an insider, you and Vince and the entire team. Safe travels. Always. Thank you, JT. Merry Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas to you. Kevin Bollinger, Fox 5, as he's out the door Thursday to get there ahead of time. Coming up next, an interview I was really proud to do. Eric, uh, I want to talk about one of the great soccer players in American history. He's coming up next. Eric Winalda is a great media member. He's had a great media career. My conversation with him about the significance of the World Cup. Was it the greatest single game played in sports history find out next Andres Cantor on the call. JT back with you, joined by U.S. Soccer Hall of Famer Eric Winalda. And Eric, talk about the ramifications of Messi now winning the World Cup. Argentina, the size of that global audience. Give us your big picture on how you saw it. Well, I mean, there's there's two. And if, first of all, it's great to hear you again. Uh, great to hear you. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours. And I appreciate you having me on the show. I uh, Look, I, I, I'll tell you how it went for me. I, I, when this thing was over, I, I, I was just spent. I, I didn't really uh, know how to react. But what we're now seeing is the trickle-in effect of, of how many people this really did affect. Not just the scenes in, in Buenos Aires of a, a, a team that hasn't won the World Cup in 36 years and has produced so many great players, but just the world's reaction to uh, what, what Messi represents and, and how many people were following this story. We really didn't realize uh, how big it was globally until, until they, the numbers started spitting out. The whole world watched this one. I mean, we talk about you know, television ratings and whatnot. It's a couple of hundred million people that probably watch the NFL, the Super Bowl. There's, there's four billion people watching this one, and it delivered on all levels. I mean, as a soccer analyst, as a soccer FX player, as a coach, or as a, anybody that follows the game, Make somebody open up at 7 a.m. just to watch uh, a game while, while the NFL uh, folks trickled in and to, to, to actually feel that passion. It's starting, you know, it's, it, you, see it, you see it more and more in this country. When we look at the largest Super Bowl audiences of all time, that's really what we look at in America. And you just said it great because you've been in TV a long time. This is at a level that we can't even wrap our heads around because it's tough to figure out who's watching at, at what time. If there's a beach resort in Thailand and everyone's off the beach right. and watching this World Cup, and we know that in Cape Town there are hundreds of thousands of people watching, then we add in the American audience, Canada, Mexico, and especially all of South America, and then we get to China and the Far East. I don't know how you come up with the number, but is it fair to say that this was arguably the most watched or easily the most watched sporting event of all time because of more TVs, more digital streams? I think it has to be. Well, it, it was, and it was interesting is it went in direct conflict with uh, with all of this this belief system that other sports uh, you know are, are are paramount to soccer and you know it, it
matter that it was in December. Uh, everybody, everybody watched this one. What was really funny, JT, was the fact that this game went into extra time and it went to penalty kicks. And Fox, the Fox executives, had to make a massive decision of whether they want to keep it on Big Fox or move the trophy uh, uh, celebration to FS1, which they did, which means uh, you know, m- most people's TVs got turned off straight to the football, uh, and, and Fox mm-hmm. showed us exactly where their priorities were right in, in that moment, where everyone was waiting to see one thing, and that's Lionel Messi hold up the, uh, the, the trophy. Uh, and we never got to see that on Big Fox. We had to flip over to FS1. So the rest of the world saw it. We had to, we had to you know, get our remote out. I read Eric Ronaldo's our guest. I read a really good column on ESPN. Did Messi need this to to kind of cement his legacy? I think he did, but you played at the highest level, and this is part of your life there. So if Messi loses and Mbappe comes back as Messi's up to nothing and France wins and they Messi loses in penalties, even though he makes a penalty kick, does it affect his global relevancy and legacy? Having that World Cup trophy over your head means a lot. I think that adds to what he's done in his life and all the greatness on the pitch. I, I, I think it's easy to say now, JT, or oh, he didn't need mm-hmm. this uh, because we all have a really high opinion of it. You're, you're damn right he needed it. it. There's so many people out there who said that he'll never be consider, in consideration for the greatest player in the world until he touches the cup. And, and the fact that he did it the way that he did it uh, is absolutely legendary. You, you could go back the last... 10 World Cups, okay? And and in every World Cup, they give somebody the golden ball. Mm. And what that means is it's, it's, it's the best player chosen by, uh, the, the, by FIFA. And he's the only guy to ever win it twice. So if, if anybody... And he won it because he won. He, if, if Kylian Mbappe you know, scores the third goal and, and Argentina loses uh, you know, in, in the penalty kick shootout, that's all we're talking about is the, the passing of the torch... Messi was never that great. People would do that. I disagree with that entirely, but that's just the way it would work. And you, you brought up uh, you know, the Buffalo Bills and going to four straight Super Bowls and not winning, but still being in the Hall of Fame. But if, if he would have won all four, what are we saying about Jim Kelly? If Jim Kelly yeah, wins all right four point. of those, he's, he's in, the, he's in the, the, the Tom Brady conversation right there with Joe Montana. So it's just the way it works, the way the world works. He needed that trophy. He needed that release and that relief that we could finally just end the debate. He is the GOAT. Leave it alone. It's over. Eric Winald is our guest. So with all the hype behind it, and it lived up to it, it lived up to it, which I believe makes it the greatest single sporting event of all time. And all I can put it up there with is Muhammad Ali, Jack or Tiger Woods yeah. in golf. It's got to be something global. It can't be something regional in America. It's got to be global. And this is just so big, as you talked about, the billions and billions. What's going to be the pressure in North America and the United States? There's a good chance we're not going to get a final like this. When we get it next, it could, there could be an underdog team, a sleeper team that rises all the way. This is going to be a tough act to follow. Not so much Doha, which I'll get to, but just the magnitude of this game. This doesn't happen every World Cup in a World Cup final. No, it doesn't. And, and the circumstances that people need to understand, usually the World Cup happens in the summer. Clearly, this was in November, December competition, which led to a much more entertaining style of football from some teams that we really didn't expect to play this well. But everybody wasn't beat up. This wasn't at the end of the season and then somehow take your two weeks off and figure out how to, how to play in a World Cup. That's usually been the case. What, what we found is that, that players were right in the middle of their, their top form, 
Uh, some teams, you know, like Morocco, who was it's a fantastic story. Uh, and their their rise to be the first African team to make it to the last four, uh, and just and then and then having the entirety of Africa behind them and the Middle East, mm. which which would never happen, JT, in any other like like there's no way the Brazilians were rooting for Argentina. Let's just put it that right. way. That's just not happening. But you you have all of Africa, uh, you know, behind the Moroccan effort, which was beautiful to see. Here's here's another weird part, um, which people don't even realize. Kylian Mbappe is Moroccan. He had a choice to make when he was very young that he was going to play with France or he was going to play with Morocco. And there were circumstances that his father alluded to, the reasons why he went with France. But if Kylian Mbappe uh, is, the, is the Moroccan forward, mm-hmm. I don't know how far they go. I, I really don't. I mean, so this is, this, the world of football is growing up. We do have this pressure to put on a great show, which we will. Uh, keep in mind, the tournament is expanding to 48 teams. So it's going to be a mm-hmm. little bit different now. There's going to be a lot of teams in this, and we saw Japan and South Korea do so well. Morocco was a great story. There's going to be more teams. There's going to be more venues, uh, and, and it will be very difficult to prognosticate what kind of tournament this is going to be. But the pressure isn't really on us. It's, it's really going to be a matter of how much better are some of these smaller countries going to get I mean, we, we saw Germany get knocked out again. Germany's in trouble. Mm-hmm. They get knocked out by Japan. This is a, it's a whole new world. It's very difficult to win this, this, this tournament now and, and with so many teams raising the bar. Eric Winalda, as we wrap it up, uh, American Soccer Hall of Famer. So what type of pressure does that put on the United States? We keep hearing about how many young players they had. Christian Pulisic coming back with the players that they have and the chemistry after watching Messi win the World Cup, what will be the pressure? Same pressure as always, right? Get out of the opening group, get out of the group stage, and win a knockout round game. That's probably the ultimate goal going forward. Well, I mean, that's, that's really been the narrative over the last you know, mm-hmm. bunch. Of, of course, we, we didn't make it in 2018, so we can still look at this as a, somewhat of a, a success story. I don't think it's good enough. I don't think it's even close to good enough. We have enough talent. We need to get more kids. Uh, you know, the 16, 17-year-olds right now are going to be the ones that will be helping us in three and a half years' time. So when the Olympics won, that's, that's number one. You gotta, we have a young team. You just said that. But let's go win a trophy. Let's go put a medal around our neck and have the ability to say, hey, we are winners. We're not just here uh, to have a good time and hope we don't get kicked out of the tournament before the quarterfinals again. I think the pressure's on to, to put together a side Find new management. I don't think this coach is going to last. I think we need, we need better uh, leadership at, at the very top. Uh, tap into the talent that we have, and, and let's, let's stop. Let's just end this underdog tag. It's, it drives me crazy. We really let ourselves down, JT, against the Netherlands. I know we don't have enough time, mm-hmm. but when, when, when we lost to the Netherlands, that was, that was not an embarrassment, but that was just another indicator that we're not there yet. And that just has nothing to do with the talent of the players. That had to do with our plan. Finally, Eric, how do we get over the fact that there was so much corruption by FIFA and to get this to Doha and what happened with all the individuals, mostly the men who lost their lives, building all those stadiums that are going to sit empty? I mean, they'll have tournaments, but never again. They tear them down. What happens there? The, the trafficking of some of the people that built those stadiums and couldn't get out, almost like slave labor. There was so much that was covered brilliantly in multiple documentaries there. 
And then FIFA and Doha had the greatest World Cup final of all time. We can't forget the lives that were lost and what happened with the corruption along the way. So what's going to happen? You're in this business as a player and a global guy that everybody knows. What do you think we need to do to remember the lost lives and what happened to get that World Cup to that location? Man, that's a bit, a lot to chew on. I mean, the way it got there, we know, we understand now the corruption. And, and just to explain to your listeners, that it, what happened is they built these, these brand new stadiums and they're basically going to have to not tear them down. They're going to reconstruct them somewhere else. So this story isn't over. We're going to find out who paid for and who was a part of the corruption uh, because that stadium has been promised to somebody. That's where they got the votes to make this happen in the first place. So, so pay attention to that. I, and that's, that's, that's its, its, its own problem. But getting over it will never get over it. This World Cup is tainted. But it's the only thing you can say. It was, the football was wonderful. Uh, we, 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 we retreated to one of the, the greatest games of all time. Uh, but it, it certainly it, you know, is, is an indication that, that this has got to stop with the, with, this, with, with the corruption that exists and, and how much money – uh, uh, was necessary to, to, to make sure this event happened at a place where it should have never been. The, the, I guess the most telling part is Qatar as a country, as a soccer team, they were, they were terrible. They had all that time to prepare, but all they cared about was having the event on, in their country, uh, but they didn't deserve it they, at all. They, they got a free pass to a tournament that they embarrassed themselves in. And that's, that's, that's the sporting part. The people that lost their lives, the men and women that, that, that and some of them, there's stories now coming out about people that were, were brought on, on the false assumption that they were going to be a professional player in Qatar, and then they put them to work, and, and it was all a big lie, and then they didn't let them leave the country. And it, it's over 6,000 people that passed away in this process. Mm. Uh, it, and, and their memory, their memory it, it's a great point you made because uh, it, they can't be the forgotten ones. And it, the only thing that we can promise to them and their families is that we never let something like this happen again. Thank you, Eric. Our conversations are really deep and compelling. Always appreciate you having you on. You're a great guest and a great talent, and I hope to do it again soon. Take care, my friend. Let's do it, my man. Eric Winalda. Hope you enjoyed that. That's the way we put a bow on the World Cup. It's tainted. Over 6,000 people died, but it was one of the most, probably the greatest sporting event of all time. Very tough to wrap your head around that, isn't it? It's the number one all-time single game in any sport. Fact, not fiction, because the size of the global world population, the game delivered. It wasn't a bust. If everybody watched it around the world and it was a one nothing final and it wasn't very dramatic, that's one thing. It was great. And Messi got the opportunity to lift up the World Cup. So it was good, but we can never have the corruption like that again. Thanks again to Eric Winalda. All right, so a very important point. Coming up here tonight at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, 10 Eastern, the Raiders will release on their YouTube channel the Immaculate Reception. It's brand new content. You haven't seen it. If you're a Raider fan, you're going to love it. I saw it today. It was great. Also, they're going to drop Raiders Roundtable. Q Myers and myself. I interviewed George Atkinson right after we watched the documentary. I think it's a really good 20 minutes if you're a George fan. How can you not be a George Atkinson fan? That'll be really cool. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to be on the radio tonight, 6 to 9 on Mad Dog. That's Sirius XM 82. And back again tomorrow as we're starting to line up some Pittsburgh insiders to get you ready for that game. Thanks to Bobby, who put the show together. Levi Edwards, Kevin Bollinger, Eric Winalda. And Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus. Raiders are still alive. I tweeted out at JT the Brick what they need to make the playoffs. 
I'm finally starting to talk about it, but it doesn't matter unless they beat Pittsburgh. I think they're going to beat Pittsburgh. I told you they beat the Patriots. Didn't think they'd beat the Patriots that way, but we'll take it. Q Myers on deck. Always a great show. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. Good to go. All right, you got it.